In the book of James, this first chapter, the, the whole book of James is about authentic faith, real faith, not just naming and claiming something, but what is a real believer? And he's challenging us with that. Now, James was the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, probably the one that was born after Jesus. They grew up together, and James did not trust Christ as his Savior, didn't believe who he said he was, till after he rose again from the dead. But I want you to remember that as we look at the book of James, and you see what James is laying out there, I want you to remember James always had Jesus in his mind. Jesus was the standard for obedience to the word of God. Jesus was the standard for righteousness, for holiness, for love, for mercy, for caring about people, for ministering about people. It was always about Jesus. It wasn't about a bunch of rules. It was about the person of Jesus. And he said, you want to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. Now, in the first part of this chapter, we've already seen the very first sermon we did here was responding to trials. How do we respond to trials? Patiently, trusting the Lord. Last week, Sam talked about how do you respond to temptation? You blame God like Adam did, the first sinner. We read there that God doesn't tempt anybody from, with sin. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from God. We can trust God. And when we live in God, and we grow in him, the temptation becomes not a temptation anymore. Today, we want to talk about how to respond to the word. Now, all of the book of James, it seems, is wrapped up in this first chapter. And then he's going to delineate and give into more detail as we continue on in this book. But this morning is how to respond to the word. We'll see how far we get. Listen, I, I appreciate so much your praying for me. I had such a great time in study this week. Sometimes when I have those just great, great times, then I'm always afraid I'm going to spill it before I get there, you know, and you're going to miss it. But we're just going to trust the Lord to challenge you this morning that the flock will be fed with what God wants. So let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word, how powerful it is, how sweet it is. Lord, how we need your word, your direction. Lord, give us a growing enthusiasm, a growing appetite for your word that we would not be forgetful hearers. But Lord, we would be eager, effectual doers of your word, obedient. Lord, that we might be a reflection of your grace and glory. Lord, that we might hear well done from you one day. Lord, give us understanding. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that each one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, Lord, so that we would not be forgetful hearers, but obedient to your word. And we'll give you all the praise, thanking you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in John chapter 6 that everyone hears a portion of God's word. We read this morning in Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that everybody understands there's a creator. Whether you reject that in rebellion or not is a decision that you make. But everybody, the whole world is going to become guilty one day based upon the amazing creation. 
It says there in Psalm 19 that it, it just shouts everywhere that there is a creator. But there are two kinds of people. There are forgetful hearers and there are effectual doers of the word. Now, I think there are believers who become forgetful hearers. But let's work our way through this passage just praying that God will use it in our hearts. Verse 18, I'm going to pick up where Sam uh, left off last week. Verse 18 talks about our unique relationship. It says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be the first fruits among his creatures. By the exercise of his will, a lot of people in Christianity, in America, they don't like to talk about the sovereignty of God, about God's sovereign choice. Well, you have to just ignore the scripture because it's exactly what the Bible talks about. You would never have turned to God if it weren't for God quickening you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. We sing amazing grace. The second verse says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Why is that? Because when God quickened you, he woke you up to the first thing you understood, that you were a sinner, that you were lost. There was no hope for you except the cross of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And later in chapter 15, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. First John, he said, You love me, you love God, because God first loved you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. And Paul, he doesn't end that chapter, but he ends with this statement. So what do you say to those things? Why did God tell us that? So that you would know in your trials and the things that you are going to be faced with as a believer in this sinful world, if God before you, who can be against you? In the exercise of his will, I love that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. So when the creator God said in Genesis 1, let there be light and there was light. What he's saying is the same ex nihilo, that means something from nothing. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, there was no hope for you to choose God because you would get smart enough or convicted enough. He made you alive. He spoke light into darkness. And so that same creative power of God caused you to come to Christ. 
For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, just like you have two biological parents, you have two parents, it took two things for you to become a Christian. That was the power of God and the word of truth. That's what he uses. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, a lot of people that react to what they would call Calvinism or the doctrine of the sovereignty of God react because they've seen people that are forgetful hearers, that take it as an excuse not to share the gospel. Paul says here that it's what God uses. Now, as a believer in the sovereignty of God and God's choosing, you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 9, when it says, God chose people, and it's not him who ran or he who worked, but God who made a sovereign choice. And so if you don't like that, you know why we don't like it? Because we like to take a little glory for what we do. We like to say, well, God, look at that. I did go to church. You know, I did this. I chose Christ. Yes, you had to receive Christ as your Savior. But it was the result of God working in your heart through his word. I want to read something for you. This is amazing. This is Charles Spurgeon, 1879, okay? That's a while ago. Right after our Civil War a while, you know, like 14 years after our Civil War. That's a while ago, before the turn of the century. He's writing this introduction to this passage. Listen to what he says. James has no speculations. By their fruits ye shall know them. It seems to have taken on a possession of his mind. It seems to have taken possession of his mind, and he's always demanding practical holiness. He's not satisfied with the buds of hearing. He wants the fruit of obedience. We need more of this practical spirit in the age. For there are certain ministries who are not content with sowing the old seed, the same seed which came from the hand of the apostles, the confessors, the fathers, the reformers, and the martyrs that produced a harvest unto God. They spend their time in speculating as how to weather the seed of tares. You know what tares are, right? That's weeds, right? It's not the good seed of the gospel. Whether the seed of tares grown under certain circumstances may not bring forth wheat. Whether at any rate good wheat would not be better for the admixture of just a little sprinkling of tear seed. We need somebody to take these various theories and put them into a cauldron and boil them down and see what is the essential practical product of each of them. Then he gives you an illustration. This really comes home for us in the United States of America. He said, recently I've seen in the newspapers an article which fastened upon my mind, an article with regard to the moral state of Germany. The writer himself, a German, says that the skepticism of the professed preachers of the word, the continual doubts which have been suggested by scientific men and more especially by professedly religious men as to revelation, have now produced upon the German nation the most frightful consequence. The picture which he gives makes us fear that our German friends are treading upon a volcano which may explode beneath their feet. The authority of the government has been so severely exercised or overreaching that men are beginning to weary of it. Does it sound familiar? 
Men are beginning to weary of it. And meanwhile, the authority of God has been put so much out of the question that the basis of society is undermined. I need not, however, ground my remarks upon that article for the French Revolution at the end of the last century remains in history as an enduring warning as to the dread effects of a philosophy when it cast suspicion upon all religion and created a nation of infidels. I pray God that the same may not happen here, but the party of modern thought seems resolved upon repeating the experiment so greatly is the just severity of God ignored and so trifling and evil is sin made out to be that if men were to be doers of what they hear and carry out what has been taught from certain professedly Christian pulpits, anarchy would be the result. Free thinking always leads that way. God, keep us from it. 1879? Well, look back at what happened to German. Did government get a little more overreaching? Yeah, they had two world wars to prove it. A lot of death. But we haven't learned because we go back to the same thing. We question Hath God said? But as believers, we have this unique relationship to the word because the word is what brought us life. And if you truly are a Christian, I hear about people making decisions and then you tell them what the word of God said. They, oh, no, no, no. No, I, I, don't, I don't need the church. No, I, I don't need, no, I don't like that part. And then I question whether they really got saved. Because what he's teaching here is you have that unique relationship. It's the word that helped bring you forth. It's the spirit of God and the word of truth that brought you forth. Then he said, so that you might be first fruits. Now to the Jewish mind, that's who he's writing to, Jewish believers. That had significant meaning, first fruits. See, when they have a harvest, they bring the first fruits. Now would there be a temptation on the part of a Jewish farmer to go, what, what, if, what if the rain stops and this is all we get? What if something happens and this is all we get? I better, I better hold on to this. But what God said, no, no, no. Bring that here and make it a sacrifice. You sacrifice that, don't hold back. They would understand. And maybe James was talking to them, listen, you're the first fruits of the harvest that's coming because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important that you be faithful. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. But he's also talking about the fact that all of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, through these generations, are first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth that are coming. And we can trust the Lord. We can trust our soul to a faithful creator even in the deepest trials. Just be obedient. Authentic faith comes to the world, word, and it's anticipating obedience. In the next verse, he says, and you know this. You know this, my beloved brethren. Believers know this. They don't come to the word as higher critics well, I'm not sure if Paul wrote this or not. So, you know, and, and back in those days, you know, when they said that, that we should dress modestly, I mean, they were wearing dresses. I've heard he's wearing dresses. So I think what he means is, well, I know it says that sex outside of marriage is, is, is 
pornographic and it's wrong and it's sin. But see, that was that day. And now we've come so far. I think it's okay as believers to kind of sleep together and find out if, you know, this is a marriage is going to work out. Hmm? Josh McDowell did a, a study several years ago. And this was amazing to me that a third of young people that grew up in Bible teaching churches, and I say that with quotations because I wonder how much, did not know that sex outside of marriage is sin. I mean, I used to be surprised. I'd be counseling a couple, they want to get married, and, and then I'd find out they were living together. What are you doing? Oh, well, you know, everybody's doing it. And now parents of Christian kids are afraid to say, well, you know, that's what they do, so I don't want to say anything. Why? Because the Bible means things. Words mean things. Now the new orthodox comes to the word of God and he says, well, when it becomes truth to me. Charismatic says the same thing. Well, when I feel it, then I'll obey it. But I didn't feel it today, so... The unbeliever just comes and says, well, a dusty old book, I don't, it's not relevant for me. But he says, you, my beloved brethren, all of us, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'll tell you what, that is, that is one of the, the best, you could have a whole seminar on cross-cultural ministry, on evangelism, on counseling. I mean, this, this is such a powerful little passage. You need to memorize that. Everyone must be, as a believer, if you're a beloved brother to James, you belong to Jesus Christ, you just anticipate obedience. Acts chapter 17, I believe, is verse 11. Paul gave this amazing sentence about the Bereans. He found the Bereans to be more noble because they heard the word with all readiness of mind. What does that mean? They anticipated obedience. If God said it, I got to figure out how I'm going to do that. That's where faith is because we hear some things and we go, whoa. We hear about giving. The Bible talks about giving. The first 10%. <laughs> what? Ten, 10%? I mean, I got, I got other things to do too. Well, that's where the faith comes in. When you're starting out, you say, well, the Lord doesn't care about my tithe because it's just so little. You would not believe in this church. And it's such a blessing to us. How many $5 and $10 checks are coming from college students because they don't have anything, but they're putting God first. They put God first. Now, I don't look at the Numbers, I don't look at your checks. Don't worry about that. I can look at your life and see if you're faithful or not. That, that, that's, that's a big deal. That's what James said. Look at their fruits, you know. But somebody comes, I'm really struggling financially. Well, you're putting God first. I've had older Christians come and say, well, you know, my tie would be so big. I think that'd be too much influence. With who? You think God's impressed with your piddly little gold? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He, he owns all this. 
He created you. The tithe is simply the recognition of, recognition of worship in your life that God owns me. Not just the 10%. He owns it all. But you know why I give? Because the Bible tells me to. And because I want to see what God's going to do. Especially in those times when I'm not sure how it's going to work out. And I give with anticipation that God's going to have to rescue me. We obey God with the idea that God is going to have to rescue us when we get in trouble. But we walk around, even in the valley, the shadow of death, and we fear no evil. Why? Because the shepherd is with us. His rod and his staff, and I'm telling you, he can give a lick with that. The Bible says you mess with his children, you poke God in the pupil. Nobody pokes God in the eye and gets away with it. You don't mess with his children. God wants us to be quick to hear, slow to speak. Oh, we have such a hard time with that one. I was listening to uh, Alexander Begg. I love listening to good preachers. You know how I pick preachers? Not that preachers just make me feel good and affirm me. No, I, I want to pick preachers that are actually preaching the truth and they just walk all over the top of me. You know, the word. It's not them, it's the word. And it feeds me and it challenges me and it cuts me and then it heals me. And it gives me hope. And so I listen to guys like John MacArthur. I love listening to Franklin Graham when I get a chance. Alistair Begg. There, there's, there's, there's God's has given us, and even in our day and age, I read a lot of Spurgeon. But he quoted this poem, and it's author unknown, and I, I think it's so appropriate when it comes to how much we talk. Of course, he says it with that wonderful Scottish brogue, and I can't do that, so I'll give it to you with a Laramie accent. <laughs> if all that we say in a single day with never a word left out were printed each night in clear black and white, would prove a strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose, ere our eyes we would close, we must read the whole record through. Then wouldn't we sigh, and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half what we say in a single day we're left forever unsaid. Quick to hear, slow to speak. You know, God give, gifts people different in our church. And there are some people that are just gifted and they are so wise. They have the gift of wisdom. And I love, I, I, I try to be around those guys. And I don't want to embarrass them too much, but, you know, I like to be around Chris Rosinski and I like to be around Terry Diltz. They're not the only ones, but I bring them up because they're not the first ones to talk in a conversation, you know? The Bible says in Proverbs, and I'll look it up later if you need the reference, but basically in, 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 with a Laramie accent, it says, the fool opens his mouth and drains his brain. So <laughs> Where does that say that? It says, the fool tells his whole mind. But you get around a man of God, especially one that's gifted that way, and they're there and they're quiet. You have to ask them, well, would, you, would you please tell me what you're thinking? And I tell you, here it comes. 
And a man of God brings you the word of God. And I think God sprinkles those kinds of people in our church so that we can learn to be like that, like Jesus was. They're always dogging Jesus' trail, weren't they? But I'll tell you, when Jesus had something to say, boom. And what James, I think, is remembering was his, his big brother, Jesus, who wasn't always the first one to speak growing up. But when he spoke, it was so annoyingly true. So he says, and slow to anger. Because we have our own warped, fleshly sense of justice. And we think if we got between our two ears, well, obviously that's truth. And let me just show my anger. This is especially true among religious people, is it not? It's religious people that are blowing things up all the time because their senses were offended, right? That's not Christian. And I think James is giving them a word of wisdom because there are big changes coming to the church. I know in my journey as a believer, I've come from a very kind of a fundamentalist background. And I'm thankful for that. There were some very good things that I learned, was taught. But you know, as God put me out here in the center of creation, we are. It's a thousand miles anywhere from Laramie. So we know we're in the middle. And nobody really looking over our shoulder and, and seeing all these young people back in about 1987, 88 begin to come to Christ. And they started saying, but Paul, where's that at? And it challenged me. The word in their life challenged me right out of a lot of that legalistic things that I've grown up with. I, I didn't even think about. Some time ago, one of my relatives asked me, well, how can you allow those things in your church? And all these changes come into your life. I said, well, you know, being a Baptist, do you know what the bottom line, the overarching doctrine, all-inclusive of Baptistic people is? Doesn't mean if you're denominational or not, but Baptistic doctrine, you know what that is? The Bible is the only rule for faith and practice. And the Bible says in Romans 1.14, the last verse, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Here's the record of our faith right here. Here's the marching orders. There's a lot of freedom there. But James knew that with the changes and all the Gentiles coming in, it was been pretty easy for these folks that had grown up with all the rules. And now that God was folding them up and putting away that law, their sensibilities could be injured and there would be problems in the church. Peter even, the apostle, had a hard time with that. Remember? Paul comes down with some Gentiles and Peter, he's, he's eating and probably having a ham sandwich with the rest of them. I don't know. But then as soon as the, the fellows from Jerusalem showed up, you know, the big dogs, he separated himself from the Gentiles and he just was kind of over here. And Paul, because it was so important what was going on in the church, he rebuked them in front of everybody. And Peter said, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. But the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Exactly. You see, anger is something God has given us. And I don't want you to call it our psyche, our brain, our emotions. 
But all temper does is tell you, it's just a warning, hey, your rights have been violated. That preacher is preaching about stuff that really bothers you. I mean, he's talking about money again. And you know, you give way too much already, right? He's talking about where you grew up in church and how you learned the wrong thing, and that just makes me mad. I don't go there anymore, but it just makes me mad. Wade will tell you that when I first came 32 years ago, I preached a message on flexibility, which he's changed the word to moldability. I don't think I ever used that word, but it's one he made up. And he said, oh, I'll tell you, Paul, you made me so mad because I already know what I believe and I don't need to be flexible on the word of God, you know. But it's the word of God that's teaching us to love people. You know, they say that Sunday morning is, is, is the most separate hour that races don't mix much on Sunday morning. Everybody goes to their own church. You think, you think that's what God wanted? Mm-mm. I'm so thankful for you as a church. You as a church are a reflection of the culture that you're here. Today, we have two girls from Korea, I believe, and from Mongolia, they're going to get baptized, that are a part of our church. Well, see, we got to get over things. We have to learn not to get angry when things are a little different than what we're used to. I'm so thankful for our elders. We always go back to the Word of God. We never say, hold it, we already know about this. We know how to deal with this. No, when there's a challenge, when there's an issue that comes up, whether there's discipline or a new decision, some, we always go back to, what does the Word of God say about that? Even if we're looking at the same passage is why we never want to get to the place that we know what we know separate from God's Word. Because traditions can come up in the church and there's nothing wrong with their tradition. You know, you come here, the nine o'clock service, that may be your tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. But when traditions begin to rule over the word of God, you have deadness. Deadness. And so he says, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of, of, of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Listen, if, uh, I used to think this was just talking about anger in people, and especially in men, and it is. But specifically, he's saying, when you hear the word, what attitude do you come with? You come with an anticipation to eagerly obey the word, or is it to file through? Or is it just say, well, yeah, I did a good job today. Oh, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. There's certain people I listen to and they just really encourage me. What does that mean? Does it mean they just affirm you with who you are? That is not the purpose of the teaching of the word of God. Paul said, in the last days, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, there's perilous times coming, right? And because men are lovers of their own selves, I think that's in chapter 3, They're going to heap to themselves teachers with itching ears. Teachers just want their ears to go, oh, did you like that? Oh, let me find some more things that you like. But you, Timothy, preach the word. 
Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. Because the Word of God is not easy, is it? It is supernatural. And it's not dead. It's always working in our life. But we need to come with an attitude that we bow before it. So what keeps us from hearing the Word of God? Well, he goes on to say, he said, well, let's, let's get rid of all filthiness. And in the King James, it says superfluity of naughtiness. He just says all wickedness, the overflowing of wickedness, because we are in this world. We're not to be of this world, but we are bombarded, aren't we? You can't even watch the news without getting bombarded with sensuality and wickedness and hate. And you know what? Like Sam preached last week, that wouldn't be a problem except for it finds a home in our flesh. He said, you, you got to get rid of that. You cannot hear the word when you say, well, I'm just going to, I have my little sins and I'll just stay there. It, it'll be good. I know how to handle my sin. I don't like it. You know, I, I got a leash on it. You know, so I, I got it. Mm. He said, you've got to get rid of it. Hebrews chapter 12, remember, we were there shortly. It says, laying aside every sin, every weight, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And that's different in all of our lives. Are we letting the word of God make a home in our life? That's what it says in Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Let the peace of God rule in your heart and let the word of Christ dwell richly in your life. What does that mean? It means the word of God sets up housekeeping and decorates everything in your life. It affects everything in your life. So whatever challenge comes, the first question that comes to your mind as a believer is, wonder what the Bible says about that. Or the Holy Spirit's bringing the word of God to your mind so that you're at that fork in the road with the decision and you know. Because the word of God is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. It gives direction. It's authoritative. It's not suggestions. It's commands. And the Bible says in 1 John, how do you know if you love God? You keep his commands and his commands are not a burden. Now, it might be a challenge, right? Might be a challenge. But there's an enthusiasm. It says, I want to be found obedient God has so much to say about anger. Job 5, 2, anger slays the foolish man. Psalm 37, 8, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Proverbs 12, 16, a fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a quick temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart is life to the bones, but passion is rot is, is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. Proverbs sixteen thirty two: He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who captures a city. Proverbs nineteen eleven: A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. Proverbs nineteen nineteen: A man of great anger will bear the penalty, because if you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. Proverbs 22, 24, and this is powerful. Listen to this. Do not associate with a man given anger. 
Don't go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare to yourself. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, do not, be e- do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the booze of fools. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down upon your anger. You may have been born with a challenge like that, right? We have different challenges, and, and some of us, especially as guys and girls too, you got a quick trigger and say, well, that's just the way I was born. That's right. You were all together born in sin. So how are you going to deal with this? If this is your problem, you're going to have to memorize the scripture. Get God's word into your heart. So it begins to affect your attitude. And realize what a great and awesome, powerful God you serve. And submit before him. Because it goes on to say, we need to deal with sin. We need our lives clean so we'll receive the word. We don't just reject it on its face. Well, that's not my experience. That bothers me. So, mm, and you just put it out. And then it says, in humility, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Well, pastor, I'm already saved. See, there's three kinds of salvation. There's the kind when God saved you out of your sin, There's ongoing salvation where God keeps you saved. And there's ultimate salvation when you're going to be glorified. He's going to take you to home. He's going to make you perfect. Say, well, okay, so you got three kinds of verses that you got saved from your sin. Wasn't that eternal? Yes, it was eternal because God keeps working in your heart. One of the great illustrations of that is John 18. Jesus is praying. He's going to go down and pray in the garden. And then here comes the soldiers to arrest him. And there's a really interesting phrase there. He says to them, who are you here to arrest? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And all 600 or more were knocked down by him just saying his word, which shows you no man took his life from him. He went willingly to the cross. He laid his life down, then he took it up again. But it says there in John, that passage, this was done. He said this so that all the Father had given him, he would not lose one. What was he doing? He was saving those apostles right then. 1 Corinthians 10.15 says, No temptation, no trial has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted above your ability. He'll always provide a way of escape, a way through the trial. He keeps us. He loves us. He saved us. He keeps us. And because he's keeping you, how does that work out practically in your life? Because you come to the word and you take the word seriously. Might be a new believer. I remember how many times, I never get over this. I love it when I hear somebody's made a decision for Christ, but you know what really blows me away? When I see God working in their life. Guys coming to a small group and saying, hey, um, pray for me, I, I, I really want to know how to be a spiritual dad. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader? I have no idea. What does the Bible say about that? They come to a time and they're they're a big challenge in their life and they come to one of you or or me and they say, wow, this is a big one. What does the Bible say about that? And you give them the Bible, they're done. That's it. That decision's made. Those people you're always trying to prop up, hey, you know, hey, the word says this, what are you doing? Hey, the word says this, what are you doing? And you're counseling for years and years and pretty soon you're saying, I'm not sure there's any life there. 
because there's no, there's no desire for the word. Christian counseling for true Christians is a piece of cake. Give them the scripture. Now, the Bible says the righteous man falls down, he rises up seven times. There's challenges we have in our life. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But the word of God to a real Christian is serious. They're commands. They're not options. And you love it. You love it. Because there is that weight of accountability in your mind that one day you know you're going to stand before Jesus. Oh, yeah, you're going to be saved. But you want him to say to you, well done. Well done. And because of that, there's a hunger in your life. There's a hunger. There's an appetite for the word. You see, legalists, they come to the word to find out some rules. And they get the rules. They don't need the word anymore. Can you imagine trying to be an athlete or just do your work every day and never eat? So I understand good nutrition. So what do you eat for? I know what's good for me. But you got to eat. I'll tell you what blesses my heart is every time I come, I've been through the book of James before, but every time I come to preach through another book of the Bible, I'm like, wow, it's new. Is there different things there than were before? No. But sometimes we're in a different place and sometimes we're more mature and we're able to chew a little longer and say, whoa, there's some, heavy, there's some cool stuff in here. But like we read this morning, the word of God is sweet to our heart. That's why you're such a blessing to me as a congregation. When Bookman was here last time, we didn't even announce it. And you filled that place up. You didn't even get the college kids a chance to get in there, did you? You were hungry. Why do you like listening to Doug Bookman? It's because he tells such good stories. Yeah, he's got good stories. But I think the reason that we as a church love to listen to the teachers we love to listen to is because they bring that strength for the journey. They give us a little clearer picture of Jesus so we're better able to imitate him and to follow him. And they bring an enthusiasm about the truth that we say, oh, I just needed that today. I needed that. Many times people come to me afterwards and say, oh man, whew, you hit me with a two by four today. Well, the Holy Spirit's aim was good. People come to me, they didn't know me, said, well, you've been, re you've been reading my uh, mail? You've been talking to my wife? No, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. But we as believers, we, we just, God has given us, because we've been born by the exercise of his will and the word of truth, that's part of your DNA. If you don't desire worship, you don't desire the word, you're either sick or dead. Yeah, we as believers, we can, we can fall away. And Peter brings that up in his last epistle. He said, listen, there's two options. Either you need some ISAV or you need life. You need life. We as believers come to the word of God to obey. Not to decide to figure out if it's important enough or if it feels good, or if we like what it's saying, we come to obey. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, a heart of humility. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, we're so thankful that you loved us. And you've not left us to try to figure it out on our own. You've given us your word and then you gave us the Holy Spirit. So we have need that no man teach us, but the teaching we've received, the anointing we've received in the Holy Spirit leads us day by day. And even when things are hard, we can come and say, Lord, give me understanding of your word because I want to be obedient. I want to be found faithful. Lord, break down the walls of resistance in our heart. Lord, deal with anger when we feel threatened. And Lord, give us a growing appetite that we would feed on your word, that we might be found faithful, authentic believers, followers of Christ, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.